Well, good evening, saints. We are living in a time of unprecedented revelation and clarity as a church body. Even as a church like LCM that has had monumental events. Was anybody in the room blessed by yesterday's service? Did it help add clarity to your life and our goal as a family? Tonight's chapter is going to be relatively short as far as verses. I promise you it's going to be jam-packed. We are going to cover things that are pertinent to our life. They will be revelatory. They will be entertaining. And they will change the way that we walk in our life. We are also not going to drag this evening on unnecessarily long. Justin and I, the moment that we're done, everybody say the moment. The moment. We are going to tell you all that we love you in unison at once and head straight to the truck with no personal conversations to go help build something in Denton. But we're going to make the most of our balance of time. Tonight we're covering chapter 27, and the king's name is Jotham. Look, before we get into the main text, we want to simply remind you of the last three weeks of teaching. Somebody say three weeks. Three weeks. Only three weeks. We've had sermons like standard issue that helped train us and remind us about the way of life that has been given. And regardless of our station or our calling, the standard issue that each of us must take hold of. Sermons like take your seat. Where the pastors, by the Spirit of God, are calling us to walk in the kind of humility and unity that we're called to and play our part in the body of Christ. After that, our third one over the last three weeks was tactics of war. Somebody say the word ruse. Ruse. We're going to recognize the schemes of the enemy, the ruses that he uses to try to subvert our godly plan that came from the Father. The fourth that we looked at was the mission, the idea that we are all on a singular mission that descended from the Father. This is based out of the scripture, based out of our personal conversations, and out of prophecy that came from this very body for this body. Our fifth sermon was send reinforcements. Man, that was a good word from Pastor Matthew. I wasn't present for it physically. I went back and listened to it and was still moved as if I was in the room. Sending reinforcements that reinforce the revelation that God has already given us. Somebody say, I don't need, I don't need a, new a new revelation. We're going to reinforce the revelation that God has given us. Amen. He is adding clarity, adding power, and adding unity behind it. Yeah. Our sixth message was the struggle is real. Hashtag. Pastor Wade and Brother Lintonius delivered that word. It contained content about the struggle that we are actually called to as opposed to what society around us claims is a struggle, the kind of struggle that is a godly labor that we cannot give up in, that we must press in and fight for the goal for which we set out. This kind of crescendo, if you will, with our seventh message, can you see it? Saints, can you see it tonight? I personally began to have a greater understanding of what God had called us collectively to do. It began to knit together some pieces Why are we working on our homes? Why are we tightening these things up? Why are we drawing up clear battle lines between those that are compromised and those that are righteous? Well, I can see it now, saints. We can see it now. We know what our goal is. 
We covered in Foundations as well, three weeks ago, chapter 24. We learned about a king named Joash. Joash. Man, Joash is a problem internally, and sometimes it shows up externally. We learned that he started well, but did not continue in the way of life that Jehoiada had laid out for him. Jehoiada sheltered this young man. Jehoiada raised him up. And in one sense, that was a problem because he was so dependent on that, he didn't learn to walk his life out himself. Then, two weeks ago, we studied Amaziah. Amaziah died in disgrace because he did not heed the Lord's warnings in his life. You remember the prophecies and things we went through about uh, there's a sifting going on? Remember we learned about the wheat and the weeds, how they grow up together until the end time harvest? It said that... God determined to put an end to Amaziah's life. Well, what was told to him is that he caused his own downfall. He caused his own sifting, and yet all the while it was the Lord doing the sifting through his own actions. That was pretty uh, sobering, wasn't it? Then a week ago, last week, we did chapter 26. We studied about Uzziah. That is the father of Jotham, whom we're studying tonight. He did incredibly well. But he let pride grow up alongside the fruit in his life. You remember the phrasing? He became powerful until he used help until he became powerful. Then he no longer needed help anymore. And then his pride caused his downfall. He ends up facing the discipline of the Lord as a result. We learned about how to walk in humility. Not think of ourselves as further along than we really are. That was another sobering meeting, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, God has been using these meetings on Sundays and Wednesdays, on Monday night foundations. God has been using these meetings to capture us in a sense, to get us to really focus in on what needs to happen in our life, what needs to grow in our hearts, because God's doing something. And I think you can start to see it, can't you? Yes. Yes. Listen, just to help summarize, because these were very long teachings. They were beneficial, but it was a lot of content. Joash departed from the way of life that was given to him. Amaziah failed to heed the warnings that were given to him. And Uzziah did not listen to the wisdom of the priest in the sin that he was committed. Listen, if we can hold to the way, hear the warnings, and walk in the wisdom, we're going to begin to see something different. Tonight in chapter 27, we're going to see a turn that is a bit of a crescendo like the sermons that we listed over the last three weeks. Now, we've had a few prophetic words that we want to remind you of. One that we've affectionately titled, It's Harvest Time. The idea that God is going to bring in the wheat and burn the chaff here and now among our own number. That he would refine the wheat who respond to his warning, but those that stood arrogantly he would no longer tolerate. The next one, we said, we have a mission. This in large part contributed to one of the sermons we listed earlier. That we collectively have a singular mission that God has put us on. And our counter missions need to be abolished and us unify around the mission that God has called us to. We also have a few prophetic words that just weren't shared with you. I know that sounds weird, but you can kind of think of it like the uh, secret menu at Torchy's Tacos or something like that. (laughs) You didn't know it was there. There were a few prophetic words that God gave this body that just weren't shared publicly. Would you like to know what they were? The Lord started speaking to a few men in this room, and the Lord explicitly said that he has pastors in this room. 
He has teachers in this room. He has apostles in this room. He has evangelists in this room. He has all of these great things, but he will not allow them to become pastors because those people already think they are pastors currently. And the Lord is saying, I am refining them. I am changing them. I am humbling them so that they can become what I want them to be. That's a good thing, isn't it? Sometimes our own view of ourselves can keep us from becoming what we really need to be. The next one that the Lord started sharing amongst a few men in this room was about a shaking happening in this body. That the Lord was shaking this body like grain is shaken in a sieve. And he's doing that because he is raising up a remnant. And the Lord was speaking to this body saying there is a time coming for this church and the one association where the reaper will overtake the plowman. That will be the remnant and he will do it by filling us with the Holy Ghost so that we can rise up and survive the shaking. Man, that's good news, isn't it? The Lord is telling us in advance what we need to get because there is a mission in mind. By the way, that mission, we spoke about it yesterday. We want to show you this is the mission. This is the region of Aswan, and we are the Aswan team. That is the vision that God has given this church. That is the vision that God has outlaid in the Bible. This is what the entire Bible is about, is this region and this area of land. Now, it's amazing now that we are now considering everyone part of the Aswan team. But you know what that means? Even if you don't end up in this land, which we are pretty sure many of you will, even if you're not in this land, this land is still your ultimate goal. Even if you are called to Mexico, this land is what you are sowing into in Mexico. You are raising up disciples. You are teaching them. You are growing them to be thinking about this land and sending out their children to that land. We do this because this is the overall biblical plan, and it is what God spoke to this body. Man, it's amazing when what God speaks to this body lines up with this plan, isn't it? We ought to be proud about that. We ought to be honored that we get to take part in what God is doing on this earth. Amen? Amen. Listen, whether we have grandchildren in the room or we're single and looking for the day that we become autonomous adults, we're all becoming sons of this house. Sons that take on the mission of our fathers and understand a right relationship to authority. On that note... I would love if Abambola would pray for us and then Brother Lentonius would read through the verses for us before we get going. Maximus, faithful reader of the scroll, do what you do best, bro. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. 
he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Mm. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the Judean hills and forts and towers in the wooded areas. Jotham made war on the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. That year, the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, ten thousand cores of wheat, and ten thousand cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. The other events of Jotham's reign, including all his wars and the other things he did, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, this chapter is interesting. It has bookends. I'm pretty sure a couple students in the room could find a chiastic structure if you looked closely. But we want to begin with our first verse and go ahead and get into the text. Would you read the first verse one more time for us, Brother Linton? Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. Amen. 25 years old is when he became king. Now to some, that number means nothing. To others, it means you're a third of the way through your lifespan, pretty much. But in the Bible, 25 is a special number. We'll hand out just a few passages that we're going to read together and kind of get a picture of what's going on in his life at this time. Cody, if you get numbers 8, 22 through 24. Brother Tom, if you get 1 John 2, 12 through 14. And uh, we'll pick up from there and probably read to you some of the remaining verses. But I wanted to hear these from you guys. Numbers 8, 22 through 24. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the, they did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. Come on. The Lord said to Moses, This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall, t- shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. So we find an astounding truth here. 25 years old is when you're allowed to participate in the work of God. Now the Levites, they were being discipled, they were watching their fathers, but they were waiting for the day that there was a type of transition. You notice under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. These Levites were training for the day that the load of work was placed upon their shoulders and they had their fathers and the sons of Aaron around to help supervise them. So, so to speak, our king here has just reached the time frame When he's no longer allowed just to watch and learn. Something is now required of him. He has to participate in the vision that was given to his father and bear up under the load, just like those that have gone before him. It's not an insignificant number. It's the day of transition. Essentially, practice time is over in his life. It's harvest time. It's time for you to take on the mission. It's time for you to labor in what has been provided. Who is 1 John 2? You got it. All right, you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. All right, dear father, if you have known him for his 
Do we have any children of God in the room? Yes. Do we have any fathers in the room? Yes. Do we have any young men in the room? Yes. Do you don't want to know what qualifies as a young man? <laughs> the young men are the ones that have watched their fathers long enough to now be at an age, spiritually speaking, that is competent to do the work. What that means is that your father's vision has been placed upon your shoulders and you have other men around to supervise, to help lend advice, to strengthen, but it's now become your responsibility. The Word of God is saying it lives in you, that you overcome the evil one. Our king here in our very first verse has reached the day and time when his father's vision cannot just remain his father's vision. It has to become his. It's now his job for the word of God to live inside of him and for him to overcome the evil one. Coming off of yesterday's sermon, I would expect I would speak to some in the room. Was it a bit daunting looking at that map? Yeah. It's a big picture. There are a lot of lives, a lot of nations, and a lot of hostile territory. Very easily it would be something that is overwhelming. And yet God has placed upon us, just like this king, a time frame when it's time to transition from just watching and learning to learning to bear up under the load. In fact, we have something that is a special kind of revelation, something that was given to our fathers, but further clarity has been added that was not there in previous days. That is because God is placing a burden upon our shoulders, our load, our calling. Our king here has made a transition that now we'll see what happens with his life. Does he carry it on? What will he do with the revelation that has been given to him? Now, 25 is a special time in a young man's life. That is the time when a young man is at his most passionate. He's at his, the, the peak of his strength, his drive. He wants to go conquer the world. And really, that's all I know. Uh, I learned that from listening to wiser men than myself. That's what they say. But... There's something going on here. He is at the age where it is his job to take on the work. And as Judah said, a revelation has come to him. He is at the point in his life where it is his job to carry his father's vision. His father can't do it anymore. Now he has to carry his father's vision. Yeah. Have you ever heard the quote, the lifetime of, the, of an opportunity must be seized within the opportunity of a lifetime? Yeah. That is us and that is now. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys that kind of thinks he was born in the wrong generation. Like I look at generations of old and man, I love the way they dress, the fedoras, they could smoke cigarettes inside, they can listen to Frank Sinatra. Man, that sounds like it was great. But the truth is, is we are born for such a time as this. Amen. That was our father's time. This is our time as young men to work. And there is something riding on the young men's shoulders. And it is that revelation. 
Do you want to know about that revelation? We're going to hand out a few passages and this is going to be on that revelation. And this is tying right on in with young men. That is what makes a young man a young man. He has his father's revelation and he is willing to work with it. So Paul Rosales, you take Matthew 13, 16 through 17. Uh, Glenn, you get 1 Peter 1, 10 through 16. Brenton, you get 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Um, Abambola, you get Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Micaiah, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. And Jennifer, you're going to get Acts 15, 1 through 2. Rick Lawhon, Acts 15, 12 through 20. JJ, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And Ibrahim, you get the crowning scripture of them all. Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 7. Man, that's quite a list, isn't it? Promise you this is going to be encouraging. And this is going to be good. Who's got Matthew 13, 16 through 17? But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. To me, this is one of the most astounding passages in all of the Bible. Think about this for a second. At the time Jotham is alive, He has had many men before him longing to look into Jotham's day. And Jotham is there as a young man, capable, willing. He is uh, defeating the evil one in his life. And he is at the point where many men before him longed to look in his day. Abraham longed to look in Jotham's day. The day when Israel would be a nation in the land and many peoples. David even longed to look into Jotham's day. Solomon longed to look into those days. So how, is, how important is it for Jotham to accurately assess the time he's living in? How important is it for him to be like a man of Issachar who understood the time and knew what Israel should do? Come on. Yeah. Very important. Now I want to transfer that weight upon you. If Jotham was living in a time where many men before him longed to look into his day, how many men do you think longed to look into your day? I want to submit to you that what the pastor shared yesterday was a bombshell of a revelation. I want to submit to you that that we've been talking about this. We've been kind of thinking about it. It's been making us giddy and stuff. But we have never seen so many people in one house excited about the same revelation like this. Now just think about how many prophets and righteous men, as Jesus said, that was 2,000 years ago. And then think of all those that came after who long to look into your day and what we get to go accomplish. Come on. Come on, you young men. You ought to be able to say, man, this is my day. I want to seize the day that has been set forth for me. That is exactly what Jesus is trying to get the people to understand. They longed to look into the day that you are living. Man, that makes that makes waking up in the morning kind of exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Who's got 1 Peter 1, 10 through 16? Fair warning, you're going to be interrupted multiple times, but proceed. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently. All right, we have a slight translation difference that has the exact same meaning. Mine says searched intently with the greatest care. Concerning what? This salvation. 
All those that had gone before concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of grace that was to come, were searching diligently, intently, with the greatest care to identify what has been revealed. Pick up in verse 11. Signified when he foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Man, we so often think about the sufferings of Christ. Man, they were they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking, they were looking, they were looking, and they missed it. And we think about the cross. We think about the events that happened in the gospel. Saints, that's only half of what they were looking for, and it's only half of the story. The sufferings of Christ and the Glories that would follow. Saints, we want to cultivate an expectation for the sufferings of Christ in our own lives and the glories that are to follow. The glories of a returning king. The glories of a son of David descending back down to his people. They were in expectation, searching intently. Not just that Christ would be crucified. That Christ would be crucified and the glories that were coming. But they keep going. But you, wow. concerning the things which are now reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you through the Holy Spirit, who are sent from heaven, things into which the angels desire to look. Saints, they were not serving themselves. They were serving us. Saints, that may have been never more true than in the days that we live in in every generation hereafter. It's not becoming less true because more time has passed. It's actually increasing on an exponential level. The words of the prophets are increasing. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, guard your minds, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There we go. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober or self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Hey, this grace is the power to be able to stand in the sufferings of Christ that surely Adam Gora will experience, that Nick Rosales will experience, and to set your face like flint in God's power for the glories that are coming as a result of them. This is the actual expectation of the gospel. Let's get 14 and 15. But as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Look, I'm not going to speak long about this, but why do you think that the living God has turned up the heat, so to speak? You've had an issue in your marriage for five years, but you've been fine moving on. You've had an issue in your study of the word or your discipleship, but you've been fine. And God is increasing the heat to ensure that what is hidden below rises to the surface. Man, maybe it's because he wants his people to be holy. Perhaps it's because it's now our day and time to prepare our minds for action. To guard our inner soul and our spirit for the sufferings and the glories that are ahead. God will have his holy church and he will have it here. We see this in the kingdom of Israel time and time again. Well, we're watching this take its course in our own lives. Who is 2 Peter 1, 19? And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it. (laughs) Hold on, pause right there. (laughs) 
That, that is probably, I mean, we could easily read over that and just kind of miss it. We have the word of the prophets made more certain. Who was writing this? Peter was writing this. Probably sometime around 60 AD. I don't know. The, definitely the first century. And he said, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. You know what that means for us? We have it most certain. (laughs) We have the prophets and everything that's happened since then, and we can actually see what the prophets have written coming to life every single day. Can you see it, church? Come on, can you look out there and see it? I love what Judah shared in his passage. The prophets were not serving themselves. Isaiah was not just writing on a scroll thinking, man, this this is kind of neat. You know, this poetry class, this is doing great stuff. No one received it at the time. No. No one read it. No one listened to it. He wasn't serving himself by far. He wasn't even really, I mean, he did serve the people around him, but they didn't heed to it until the Messiah came, until the gospel reached you. And then you started looking at these prophecies and saying, hey, I can see that happening in my life. I can see that happening in my world. Now, Peter writes to them, you will do well to pay attention to it. I don't want to skip over that. No. I want to say unequivocally that it should be your highest aim of study. I mean, if the book of Revelation says you are blessed, if you read and understand that one book, how much do you think we should be taking the time to understand what's going on around us? This is what it means to be a man of Issachar. To know and understand the times and know what to do. Now how is it that so many men can say, well, we got to be focused in so many different areas. And we can look at it and say, no, that's not God. Because we can look and see where God is focused. We don't need to be concerned with whether or not we have to go to uh, Austin with a bullhorn and preach that Jesus Christ is the king of the Baptist. We know that because the word says it explicitly. Keep going. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says we should pay attention to the word of the prophets as to a light shining in a dark place. Now, I understand Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. But where did he get the light from? The prophets were prophesying about him and what he would do and what he would continue to do. Come on, are you in a dark place? We might need to understand the prophets in this room. Until the day dawns. How long? Until the day dawns. Until it's over. And until the morning star is rising in our hearts. Keep going. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy has never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Come on. So the atheists are wrong. All the Bible critics are wrong. Peter is telling you that they didn't just interpret it on their own. They were speaking as carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is your cue. How to understand the prophets? Get full of the Holy Ghost, which is the spirit of prophecy. Understand these things. Realize that they are speaking about you and your time. That is what we want to share with you. This is your time. Church, say that with me. This is your time. Amen. Who's got Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Look, I'm not going to take too long to explain things that are fairly simplistic. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. It's not acceptable that we dwell in foolishness and wasting the opportunity of the life that he has given us. We understand more than that now and are accountable to more than that now. So the days of us leaving something unaddressed that we know is not quite right. Yeah, those are going out of here. We're going to understand the Lord's will. And in every area of our own hearts, our homes, our children, our lives, we are going to gear up to be the kings, priests, and warriors that we are called to be and see the Lord's will accomplished in our day and time. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Pause there for me, Micaiah. We want to say, we thank God for you. And rightly so, because your faith is, somebody say, it is. It is. Growing more and more. That's true of those that have been working in ministry the longest in the room and those that are brand new to the Christian kingdom. Your faith is growing more and more. Our faith is growing more and more. It's almost as if we serve a God when you wholly submit yourself to him and don't guard in pride. He will cause your faith to increase for the task that is at hand. Come on. That ought to give us hope in this house because he will make his servants stand if we depend upon him. Keep going. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your precautions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That probably said persecutions. Persecutions, yes, it did. Uh, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now listen, it's very easy to read over this, but we need to put together a couple concepts here. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance, about your faith, and your persecutions and trials that you're enduring. It's a statement in and of itself. It's not boasting about your building, not boasting about your prayer meeting attendance, about the persecutions you're suffering. Verse 5 is not disconnected from verse 4. All this, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. What is evidence that God's judgment is right? What you're suffering for his name. The persecutions that you're enduring. The hardship that is associated with you accomplishing God's will, that is evidence to the earth that God is right. Whether or not they see it or like it, it is God's evidence on earth. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom. Man, that's one of the more comforting statements I've read in the word in quite a while. Those persecutions, that suffering, the hardship of pressing into Christ means that you will be counted worthy. Somebody say, I will be be counted worthy. worthy. We're going to live a life that was like the Thessalonians, and that will be true of us. Keep reading, brother. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels 
in flaming fire, uh, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among 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 all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God make, may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work, for, for good and every work of faith by His power. Pause there for a moment. The hope of the gospel is that our Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. It says, On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony too. Saints, what we are aiming for is the sufferings that lead us to glory. We must press through the things that are the crucifixion of the cross, that are the life of Jesus, and we are ever increasing our closeness to the day that we see him return. And it's not going to be some little cloud floating in. We're talking about dark storm clouds that David describes in the Psalms. That here in Thessalonians is described as blazing fire and powerful angels coming down. Thanks. When you want to experience the power of God, then we press into the coming of Christ. We press into the sufferings and persecutions that prove him to be right. I'm going to go ahead and finish the rest of the verse for you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Thanks. What we're fighting for as a body, what these pastors are fighting for in us, us as well is that we may be counted worthy of his calling. Then we recognize that our day and time is now to take on the vision of our fathers. And that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, LCM. And you in him, according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's tie a few things for, for up together for you because I see some eyes that are starting to water and I know some of us are still suffering from the time change and all that stuff. I mean, it's dark outside, so we feel like we have to be either sleeping or watching Netflix or something. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. That, that 25-year marker, that ought to strike you in a special way. Especially those of you that know the teaching 0 to 25. 0 to 25, they are learning from the older men. They are growing. They're watching those that are older and they're learning. 25 to 50, they are the ones doing the work according to numbers. And 50 onward are the ones sharing with the ones doing the work and encouraging them along the way. The key point in that is you have to know your function. You have to know where you are. And I'm just going to say it. Let's not all equivocate ourselves out of the young man category because I know for a fact if Elder Charlie was here, he would raise his hand and he would say, yes, I'm a young man. Don't count me out. That means we're all young men. Amen? The man's working in Chicago right now. The next thing is that you must understand the revelation that was passed on. 
We shared about the prophets and them serving us instead of themselves. A continuous line of revelation that reaches down to us. Then we're talking about the sufferings that comes from the gospel. And that is God's verification on us that we are actually in him. You know what the distinct factor in all three of those things are? To be that kind of man, to know your function and where you are, a young man in the body, to know how to carry on the revelation, to know how to suffer rightly, you are going to have to learn the way of life that is being handed down to you. Amen. Let me say it in another way. If you can't understand what the prophets are saying, that's okay. But I've also noticed that most men who don't understand what the prophets are saying don't actually understand what the pastors are saying. They have a hard time following the fathers in this house, and therefore they can't understand the fathers of old. Most men who don't understand their function is because they haven't really learned the way of life that the pastors are trying to teach. Most men who can't suffer is because they have not taken on the way of life. And this is what we want to do. We want to teach you how to do this well. Amen. Because there's something about Jotham's life that he learned from his daddy. He learned how to do the right things, and he also learned the things not to do. And we're going to see that. This brings us to Acts 15, verse 1 through 2. Who's got it? Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, now, we're not going to get all wrapped up into actually what's going on here. What you need to know is that Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel and there are Judaizers coming. And they're saying, look, you got to be circumcised if you want to be in Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, hey, that is not right. Paul and Barnabas were struck by that. And so where do they go? Jerusalem. They're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to meet about this situation because they're concerned. Who's got Acts 15, verse 12 through 20? All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which was fallen. Come on. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. So, go ahead. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. So Paul and Barnabas, in response, they go to Jerusalem. And then Peter begins to start saying, hey, you know what? I remember when I was with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles. And then James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, speaks up and says, hey, We've heard what Paul and Barnabas has said. We've heard what Peter has said. I think that it is right. We do not make it hard for the Gentiles coming into this fold. Amen, right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All of you Gentiles. Very appreciative. <laughs> they set 
a precedent in Acts 15. James, Peter, Barnabas, and Paul worked together to set a precedent that would be followed forever. That it should not be hard for the Gentiles. And they actually, Peter encourages Paul. He says, look, I realize that you are called to the Gentiles and I am called amongst the Jews. The thing that you have to do, Paul, is not forget the poor amongst us in Jerusalem. Peter's concerned. Hey, you're excited about the Gentiles, but don't forget the Jews. And Paul said, that which I was very eager to do. Y'all remember that? Now read Galatians 2, 11 through 14. For certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now I get it. Every, everybody's excited about Paul standing up and rebuking Peter. Everybody wants to, to get into that and see how awesome it is that Paul did that. But there's something I want you to see here. Mm-hmm. Peter was in the faith long before Paul. Yeah. James was in the faith long before Paul. Barnabas was in the faith long before Paul. And in fact, when Paul came into the faith, they were a little bit worried. This guy was persecuting us. But when he gets the call to the Gentiles, they warn him. Hey, we're concerned. You're excited about this call to the Gentiles. You've got to remember the poor. Come on. And then what's happening in Galatians? Peter somehow got mixed around. Peter is now advocating a Judaizing type of lifestyle amongst the Gentiles. And guess what it says? Certain men came from James and propagated this. And guess what else? Even Barnabas was led astray. Those three men were involved in the original decision. They got together and they laid out the revelation. They got together and they said, this is our conviction and we will not move off of it. And Paul, the newcomer, the one that they were scared of, the one that they they were so... Um, worried about. (laughs) Paul is the one that is reminding them of the original standard that they have all set amongst themselves. Do you see the beauty in that? Look, we have to learn the way of life so well. I'm talking to every person that's sitting in the seat. We have to learn the way of life so well. Why? Why? Because the ones who taught us the way of life might depend on us in the future. Because we might actually have to help each other stick to the way of life that we set. Is it possible that these men can lay down a way of life and then they might need us to reinforce it in the future? Absolutely. That is why we have to learn what this body has. We have to learn the marriage teachings. We've got to learn the parenting teachings. We have to learn everything, the way of life that these men have set. That's a good word. Not just for us and our families. They might need us. That's good. Those men needed Paul. Just like Paul needed them in the beginning. That is how we walk like Jotham walked. A young man who has the revelation and he is willing to suffer for it. Hey, BB, help us out with Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 7. Loud and proud, man. Listen, you heaven, and I will speak to you. 
Just to set the context for you, we're addressing the heavens and the earth. Everywhere you could possibly be hearing the words of his mouth is in context here. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on a tender plant. This is a Hebrew way of saying that his words are life-giving, particularly in an arid environment. To have rain come from heaven is seen as God's provision. He's saying his teaching is an equivalent to the water that you need on a daily basis. Yeah. Come on. Keep going. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Yes. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Amen. He is the Lord. Oh, praise. He is the rock. His words are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God does not do wrong. A bright and just is he. Amen. They are corrupt and not to his, ch- and not to his children. To their shame, they are wrapped and broken generations. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations who have passed. Ask your father, and he will tell you, your elders, they will explain to you. So saints, we've presented... Two extraordinary things that you could easily do something really wrong with if you had a wicked heart. Your king has called you to learn the way of life, the mission, the function so well that you strengthen and reinforce the fathers who gave it to you. I would also like to remind you that out of the heavens, out of the earth, out of anywhere that you could possibly find wisdom or consultation, where you could find life-giving water, Moses is telling you, Turn to your fathers, and they will explain it to you. To your elders, and they will give you understanding. We need each other. We need to be men who are kings like Jotham, who understand the successes and mistakes of the past, and are also able to turn back to the original standard, to the one who gave it to you, to help each other complete the mission. Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is see his will done, and that is all. Brother Linton, pick up in verse 2 for us. Yeah. Evil was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Notice how gracious Ezra is being here to Uzziah. He did what was right, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike his daddy, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. Meaning, unlike his daddy, he didn't become a prideful, selfish, puffed-up person and do the very thing that only one man can do. Look, fathers have an input in their sons' lives. Mothers have an input in their daughters' lives. Vice versa, so on and so forth. That input, though, doesn't mean it's always good. (laughs) Input in your children's lives can be either good or bad. Joseph learned to do the things his father did right, but he also learned from his father's mistakes. Praise God. He watched his daddy, said, hey, man, my dad got leprosy when he tried that. I don't want to do it. No, thank you. But, hey, this is what made him powerful. I want to do that. And you see it in his life. Now, Joseph couldn't undo the problem his father created in the people. The people continued their corrupt practices. Joseph couldn't undo that. Probably because 
His daddy offered meaningless sacrifices. Remember, he went in to burn incense. And because he did that, the people learned how to do that from Uzziah. You remember what we shared last week, Isaiah 1 through 5? We learned that God said, stop bringing your meaningless sacrifices. And he's speaking to the people. Well, where did they learn that? They saw their king doing it. And at this point, it's already become a problem, and Isaiah is pretty cued on to it. We're going to pick up with a little bit of speed. So keep going, Lynch, in verse 3 through 5. Go through the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Hobel. He built towns in the Judean hills and forts and towers in the wooded areas. Jotham made war on the king of the Ammonites and conquered him. That year, the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, ten thousand cores of wheat, and ten thousand cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. So suffice it to say, he's much like Joshua to Moses. He learned from jo- Moses and Aaron's successes as well as mistakes, and he accomplished much of what his father did and worked on the temple of the Lord. He reinforced things. He conquered enemies. And he received gifts from men and built up Israel. Verse 6 is where we would really like to center. Would you read it again for or 6 for us? Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Stop. Steadfastly. This is Strong's number 3, 5, 5, 9. And Justin's going to tell you what the word is. Judah's good at numbers. I'm good at somehow pronouncing Hebrew words. It's uh, kun. The word is... I knew that was on the tip of all of your tongues. Say it with me. Kun. Kun. Like what you find in Louisiana or something. Easy. This is Texas. Come and take it. Look, Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Man, this is such a short chapter, but that is a very powerful verse. You want to know why it's powerful? Because his daddy grew powerful, then pride became his downfall. He grew powerful, but then pride allowed him to fall and descend down into the leprous depths of sin. Jotham didn't do that, though. He became powerful and stayed powerful because he was steadfast. That is a huge thing. He learned from his dad. He became powerful like his dad, but he stayed powerful because he was steadfast. Now, there's something you need to know about that Hebrew word. It's not really just steadfast. That word kun means to be prepared, to prepare something. In some translations, it actually says Jotham prepared himself before the Lord his God. But there's something even deeper than that. What are some of the translations saying, Judah? Well, we have a few people with NASBs and ESVs in the room. Is somebody with a NASB read it for us? Maybe Elder Bosch? So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He ordered it. His ways. Hmm, that's interesting. Steadfast, ordered, maybe even established. You want to know, know another area that this particular word shows up? You might find it familiar. Psalm 37, 23 through 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Nazmi definitely reads that a little differently. So does ESV. Almost every translation took a different hack at it. Though he stumbles, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him 
with his hand. Now, begin to build the picture from verse 6 before we carry on. What is happening here is that he's growing powerful, but in a way that was prepared because of the mission. He had fixed himself or established himself in what he was called to do in advance, having seen what was done right and what was done wrong. Now, if you guys remember from a message called Jafuna, anybody been around since 2016? Yeah. Yes. We have a kind of working translation of Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps are unfolding of a life for a brave or spiritually strong man, because the word man is gibor. It's not just a man, it's one who is strong in spiritual and natural ways because God has made him that way. It's prepared, established, made firm or steadfast, like the NIV said in 2 Chronicles 27, verse 6. The man will delight in his pattern or way of life. See, what's happening here is Jotham is not just staying steady, keeping it even keel. Oh, I'm still going, man. He is demonstrating a kind of life that understands what he was put on the earth for and has rooted, established, and strengthened himself in it. If we want to read a few passages, or you, and I'm going to start in Numbers 14, that are on the topic of this kind of establishment, strength, and way of life that caused Jotham to succeed where his fathers before him had failed. Do you want to succeed? Yes. yes. Have we seen a lot of men that are not our fathers, but other people's fathers fail? Yes. yes. I want to see the movement that God has created be the body of Christ on earth and not become some strange monument to a past revival. Yeah. So I think we should strengthen ourselves in the same way that Jotham did. Numbers 14, 24 through 30. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Amen. Caleb means wholehearted. And follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys. Turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In the desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who grumbled against me. So here we have... The Lord speaking about a man named Caleb, saying that he had a different spirit, that he served wholeheartedly. And his name indicates that he's a man who is wholehearted. And a previous generation that is dying off, and there's a distinction between this one and the previous. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. I don't know if you remember, but Jephunneh means he who has prepared a way. The idea is that Caleb was different because he had learned from a father who prepared, established, or gave a steadfast way that was the mission that he was called to. He understood the way of life that he must hold to. So when he was powerful, when God helped him, it didn't cause him to become conceited. It caused him to dig down that much deeper. In fact, Caleb pressed all the way on through a previous generation's death, to see his mission completed that God had given him. 
And he raised up other men that went alongside him, like Othaniel, to get it done. Justin, you want to help us out with Isaiah? Listen to how this follows in that thought. Isaiah 35, verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about it. Now, we're toying around with Psalm 37, and in some sense it says the Lord delights in the man's way, and then in another sense it says that the man delights in the Lord's way that is unfolding before him because that way has been prepared for him because he is a gibor, a spiritually strong man. Here in Isaiah, it's speaking of a way, a highway of holiness. Now, what is that way? Is it a physical highway? Is it something you can go out and walk on and say, I'm on the highway of holiness? No. It is an unfolding of your life as you are walking as a strong Gibor, a strong spiritual man. It is the Lord directing your life down a highway. And you are looking at that highway and you're saying, man, I am delighting where God is bringing me. I am so delighted in where he's taking me because he is unfolding the way before me as I am steadfast in him. He is showing you the way to go. Man, I want the unfolding of my life to be in that way. Where it starts is I have to become like Jotham, a strong, spiritually strong, mighty man, Gabor. And when I become that, the Lord unfolds the way for me. And then I begin to delight in simply what I'm walking in. Amen? Amen. Like Jotham to succeed where others have failed. We must become rooted, established, steadfast, spiritually strong in the mission, the standard, and the way of life as it was given to us. Rejecting the pitfalls and the things that have been sinned and taking on every area of what has been given. Psalm 25, 8 through 14 speaks about this in a very special way. Good and upright is the Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Man, that was true about me. I know each of you are in this room because God's instruction led you to his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. We touched on it earlier, but the single biggest enemy to you being led of the Lord in his way is the assumption that you already are right. That you already have it under control or you don't need to deal with it yet. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land, or you could say complete the mission. The Lord confides in those who fear him. And that's an interesting statement. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Listen, we serve the living God that when you root yourself, establish yourself in him, he will instruct you. And he will confide in you like Amos speaks about the prophets, where he does nothing without revealing it to them. He wants you to understand his plan, wants you to understand his mission. He wants you to succeed 
but we must uproot the pride in our lives from prior generations and prior actions that cause us to pretend we have it together. The reality is that map, that mission is daunting. None of us are fit for the task. But his way is the way that will instruct us, where he confides in us. And we will end up delighting in it through the sufferings of Christ because we will be participators in the divine glory of Christ. Acts 24, 14 says this. Now Isaiah prophesied about the way of holiness. Here we see in Acts 24, 14, Paul says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the what? Way. The follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law (laughs) that is written in the prophets. Oh, come on. See, what Paul is saying is I'm simply walking in the way that God has unfolded over time for spiritually strong, brave, gibor men. Come on. The truth is, is when you are rooted and established as a spiritually strong man, you don't have to look for the way. You don't have to. Where is it? Which way do I walk in? He instructs you. That is what Psalm 37 is all about. As you are becoming these things, he instructs you in this way and shows you which way to go. Now, that's pretty comforting, isn't it? At this point in biblical history, the way became less of a prophecy and more of a national movement. Come on. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, has come and he is creating more spiritually strong, brave Giborim Ha'il and his kingdom. Come on. And they are becoming followers of the way. Revelation 1.9 speaks of yes. what happens on that path. This is something many of you are familiar with, but consider it in light of this context. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. John was a man who participated in the way that we just heard about in Acts 24.14 that was firm, established, rooted in the way that Christ had laid out for him. You know what that led him to, Nolan? That led him to suffering in the kingdom and in patient endurance. You know what that suffering brought him to? The Thessalonians said, the glories that are of Christ. The man so rooted his life in the way that he suffered as Christ did. He's sitting on Patmos in this moment, and he's the man who witnessed Christ's glory coming before it actually happened. He got to taste of the age to come. Do you want a revelation from the mighty king? Then root yourself in the way. Press into the sufferings that are a part of the sinful nature dying and the gospel being at work and he will reveal to you how to accomplish his plans. 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me become... Verse 7. So you can follow along. To keep me from being becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, that is just pure, honest vulnerability, isn't it? Paul speaking, look, to keep me from becoming conceited. It's almost like Jotham to become steadfast or to become ordered in his steps and becoming powerful and staying powerful. He had to stop from becoming conceited like his daddy did. His daddy became king at 16. He grew. Jotham became king at 25. You think he might have been tempted the same way that his father was tempted? Mm -hmm. And yet, when you are a gibor, a strong spiritual man, God will instruct you in the way. 
And that doesn't just mean candy and roses and nice things happen all the time. Mm-mm. It means that maybe God will do things in your life to keep you on the way. Amen. The whole point of what we're saying is that if you are following after the way, God will keep instructing you in the way. Come on. It's a beautiful process that never ends. The more you walk, the more God shines the light of his word on your path and you begin to, to walk and walk. And before long, you are running on that path. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Come on. As you continue to be instructed by the Lord. As you continue to be confided in by the Lord. You will start to see these things in your life as a blessing. You will start to see these things as God's way of keeping you on the path. Keeping you on the way. You'll start thanking Him for sufferings in your life and going, Man, that's good for me because if I didn't have this, I would become lazy, arrogant, prideful, and just an all-out sloth, horrible human being. Amen. But instead, because you're instructed on the way... You're saying, thank you, Lord. Because of these things, I am strong. I will, in fact, boast about my weaknesses now. Amen? Amen. Look, one point to gain from this. The difference between the kind of strength he's speaking about and the kind of strength that we, let's just put it in my camp, that I like to project. We like to project that we have it together because of what God has given us. And that, uh, you know, it's, it's not a great phrase, but it is a good descriptor. Ah, we're, 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 we're togetherness. I, I got it all all right. Everything's doing fine. I'm holding my lines. No, where Paul the Apostle found his strength was in his moldability before the Lord. The afflictions that were happening in his life and his recognition of the fact that he did not have it all together. So let's just throw away the things that are keeping you from participating in the divine power, the establishment the weight of God's calling on your life and just burn it up right now. You don't have it together and God is putting things in your life that are feel harmful so that he might rightly fill you with power. This is something that he's doing in our body, that he's doing in us and that he continues to do in those that pursue his way, just like the Apostle Paul. One more while we're on it. Paul's not just talking about afflictions. He's not just talking about hardships. He's not just talking about persecutions. You know, we've all seen the guy that is sick and people are like, hey, are you okay? He's like, no, man, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And he doesn't want you to feel like he is suffering in any way. We're not talking about that. Paul says, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Come on. He's been in the way. He's been instructed for so long. He was able to say. I mean, come on, let's just be honest right now. He was able to say, look, I will boast about my own pride because I know it's there and it's keeping me humble. Look, I will boast about my tendency to exaggerate things. Why? Because I know it's there and because I know it's there, it's going to keep me from doing it. Hey, I'm going to boast about my incredible propensity to be a liar at times. I'm just going to get that out there. You want to know why? Because me saying that Me airing it actually protects me from becoming it. Yes, it's one thing to delight in outside persecution, 
Learn to delight in the things God is rooting out of you. Yeah. And learn to be honest and public about it. Good That's how you become strong in this area. Brother Linton, verse 7 and 9 for us. The other events in Jotham's reign, including all his wars and the other things he did, are written in the book of the, king of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. All right. We had a great king tonight in comparison to some of our other evenings. Yeah. It is 845. I am not going to comment at all about Ahaz. We will leave that for another week. <laughs> I promise. We will reap everything that we need to reap from Ahaz. It's going to happen. We are going to be praying heavily prior to getting to that point, not just for the delivery, but for the crucifixion of our own souls and events. It's been relatively short. We want to share something with you that will change the way that you read these nine verses. Does anybody in the room have just a few minutes? I do. Yes. 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 I got more than that. Nine verses. Feels like, ah, I really wasn't that important, Ezra. I just made a couple notes and moved on. <laughs> There's a lot more going on in the background that is being accomplished in his reign than the nine verses that we just read. And we want you to understand what is happening in Israel because it pertains to our body and our church here tonight in this room. Look, it's one thing to look at Joseph's reign as like, well, it happened and it ended. (laughs) But there's a lot of things that happen in obscurity that are way more powerful than what you read about in the news. There's way more things that happen in our lives that we just don't publicly broadcast and you're going to see something here we want to take the time to read an entirely different chapter with you tonight why don't you turn there with us isaiah 6 remember what we shared last week when we were learning about uh jotham's daddy uzziah and it said that these events were recorded in the prophet of the book of the prophecy of isaiah well isaiah was alive in this time obviously It says in Isaiah chapter 1, these are the visions concerning Israel in the times of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah's reign. So what do you think that tells you about the backdrop of Isaiah? You need to be reading 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings 15 to get an idea of what Isaiah is prophesying. Now if you read Isaiah chapter 5 in the last verse, and then you read Isaiah chapter 6, the first verse, it gives you an idea of what time frame we're in. Verse 1 says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So what time are we talking about here? Jotham. The beginning of Jotham's reign. The beginning of of our text. Now if you read Isaiah 7, verse 1, which we're not going to do, it'll say something along the lines of, in the year that Ahaz became king. So that means Isaiah chapter 6 is occurring during the time of Jotham. That's crazy, isn't it? In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, Come on. and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now in the beginning of Jotham's reign alone, remember he reigned alongside his daddy because he lived in a separate house and because his daddy got leprosy on his forehead. Jotham had to kind of stand in and take care of things for him. In the moment that Uzziah dies, prideful Uzziah The moment that he dies, God gives his son a revelation. 
Now, Isaiah has this vision. And this chapter alone takes place during the reign of Jotham. And the next chapter picks up with Jotham's son Ahaz. Many of you are familiar with this vision, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, songs have been written. But I want you to, to hear this, this vision in light of what is happening in this time frame. So as our prideful king is now dead and gone and out of the way, revelation is somehow pouring into the people of God. Wow. Verse 2. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The, Lord, the whole earth is filled with his glory, or full of his glory. Now before we progress, I just want you to notice what the heavens are doing. We have a vision of what is going on in the heavenly realm, a temple that is in the heavens. And the heavenly beings are praising God, much like the gates of praise. I'm now going to read 4 through 6, and Justin will pick up. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs, from the altar. Now I know a lot of people are wondering what are these seraphim? What's going on? Did he really see the king, the Lord Almighty, or is that just a, you know, a theophany or was it the angel of the Lord? Well, we can study that another time. You want to know the first thing that we noticed? Yeah. Starts out in the gates of praise and where is he at now? He's at the bronze altar. And he's crying out, "I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips." He begins to see the Lord's character. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And he begins to cry out, I am ruined because of what I am in light of your character. Because of what I am surrounded by your presence. Small and practical note. If you ever don't know what to repent for in the tabernacle, go back to praising him until you learn to fix your eyes on his character. I promise you'll figure it out very quickly. Yeah, it's not hard. Peter understood it real quick. <laughs> Away from me, man! I'm an unclean man! Look, he's at the bronze altar. And think about this for a second. Isaiah, knowing what happened in the previous reign of Uzziah, he did not skip steps when he was in the Lord's temple. Uzziah skipped a lot of steps. And that was a lesson both to Isaiah and Jotham. Uzziah's faults taught both Jotham and and Isaiah a lesson. There is something going on in both these men's lives that is beginning to flourish something Come on. in Israel. Verse 7 and 8. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Saints, we just reached the labor, the wash basin, the place where his guilt is removed and what was burned up at the bronze altar is now gone. You know what begins to happen? The image of God is renewed inside of Isaiah. He begins to realize what he is here for. He can now hear God's call. Whom shall I send? 
Thanks. We have no idea how we're going to play our part in God's calling until we have sufficiently praised him and burned up sin to be renewed in him. While Jotham is serving the Lord and Israel is in a period of relative peace, Isaiah is receiving the call of God to the people of Israel. This is the beginning of Isaiah's commission. It starts during Jotham's reign when the prideful king has left and a prophet is entering closer and closer to the Holy of Holies. Man. Something is happening during this time of peace that allows the Lord, allows men to rise to the calling that they were destined for. Something of the Lord's strength is beginning to enter him. Prophets are growing in Israel that could not take their stand until a king established himself firmly in the way that had been taught. Come on. Listen, this is a time frame that God is doing this even in our own house, in our own homes, where we are recognizing the way that he has called us to walk, cleansing ourselves from the ignoble things in our life that we might be useful for noble purposes. And he's causing prophets, priests, warriors to rise up out of our home and our house. Man, say it with me. When kings get right, right, it causes the prophets to rise up. It causes the prophets to rise up. Fathers, when you get right, it may cause prophets to rise up out of your households. Come on. It may cause fivefold ministers to rise out of your households. Because there is a time of relative peace, this is when Isaiah gets his commission. Man, tell me how fundamental the book of Isaiah is to every biblical prophecy meeting we ever have. (laughs) Look. Isaiah gets his commission. He says, here am I, send me. Isaiah will grow to become one of the most prominent prophets in Bible history. Most of the prophetic passages and eschatological scriptures in the Bible are either found in Isaiah or built upon what Isaiah received or built upon what Isaiah said. You want to know that just point blank? Go read the book of Isaiah then read Amos, then read Micah, and you'll see how much mixing there is. Then go see how the words are almost the same in books like Zechariah, Haggai, and so on and so forth. Isaiah becomes one of the most prolific prophets that the Bible has to offer, all in Jotham's reign. And I want to tell you something beforehand. We're going to dig into Isaiah a little bit as we continue throughout these weeks. Here in this body, we are learning about the call of God to the Aswan region. We're learning about something that Isaiah prophesied. And it all happened during Jotham's reign. Isaiah was the first to name the region of Aswan. He was the first to mention the region of Aswan. And he saw that it would be instrumental in culminating God's plan on earth. And how did it happen? During Jotham's reign, a time of relative peace and security for Israel. What we are seeing here is the very beginning Of Isaiah's prophecies. And from this point forward. Isaiah gets more. And more revelation. Through each consecutive king. That reigns after Jotham. As we continue in kings. As we go to Ahaz. And Hezekiah. You're going to see some of the most amazing. Bible prophecies. To ever hit the world. Come out of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a huge. Pivotal figure. In this moment. And here he's receiving his commission during Jotham's time. Man, how, is, how important is it to be a young man? How important is it to be led by the revelation of old? How important is it to be a strong, mighty Gibor 
who is being instructed by the Lord, the prophets might depend on it. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 9. He said, go and tell this people. Pause there for us, brother. Our prophet here has walked through the gates of praise, the bronze altar, been renewed in the image of God, and now knows his purpose and function on the earth. Can you guess what happens next? At the menorah, in God's temple, he hears the voice of the Spirit that starts to direct his life. Now, I'm warning you. What the Lord tells him may not be what he wants to hear, nor will it be what you want to hear. (laughs) But it is, nonetheless, God's direction and his voice. Be never hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Look, clearly God is not very happy with the people of Israel at this moment. Even though they currently have a good king on the throne, and there will be other kings who are good down the road, God is revealing his plan little by little to judge and purify Israel through the nations around them. If you remember earlier in the text, it said that the people continued in their corrupt actions. So despite the fact that we have a good king, We have a prophet coming to prominence. There's still an issue that God is not willing to relent his hand until the chaff is burned up. He hasn't forgotten it. And he's giving insight to his servant now about what must be done. Let's keep going through uh, verse 11. But also as you're thinking about 10, this is his word. This is what he has stated is going to happen. The spirit, the menorah, is directing him and what he must do. Go now. And the word of God is telling him what will take place and what is required of him. Go ahead. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? Now, that's interesting, isn't it? What Judah just said is he was at the menorah in God's temple being directed to go and tell people. Then what God says for him to say is his word. That's the bread of his presence. He's telling him his word to say to the people. And now Isaiah is responding to the will of God and saying, how do I do it? How long do I do it? He's now at the altar of incense. His prayers, because he's walked through the tabernacle, his prayers have aligned with God's will and he's asking for more clarity in God's will. When you walk through the table of in, to the table of incense, you're, you have to be right with God to that point because you are praying according to the will He has received to you. You're not just praying about random things. And Isaiah is saying, For how long, O Lord? How long do I do what you are telling me to do? And he responds, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. At this point in time, God has now decreed what he is going to do with Israel. Now you guys know the stories because you are Bible students. You know that Israel goes into captivity from the Assyrian Empire, right? Come on, I need more than that. You know this, right? But you know who didn't know that? Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, Until Isaiah hears from it from the Lord. 
This is the first time that God's plan is revealed to these people. It is at this moment that God set the plan in motion for Israel's destruction. Although the entire nation didn't know it yet, Isaiah and the prophets around him like Amos and Micah would be keen to what God was going to do. During this reign is when God begins to... Now, think why that's important. Later on in the book of Isaiah, you see some of the most incredible chapters on redemption. You see some of the most incredible end times prophecies about how God is going to restore the earth. Now, how important is it that he walks through that revelation and what he's originally received? God's telling him, look, I'm going to destroy these people. And you're supposed to do your job, but there is something coming that I will do also. Isaiah's revelation will develop from here and include many wonderful... Say wonderful. 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 And terrifying. Say terrifying. Terrifying. Things for Israel and the nations around Israel. Come on. Let's pick up in verse 13. Judah will read it. We'll go on from there. And though a tent remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Saints, we've reached the place in Isaiah 6 where the prophet is in the Holy of Holies. He's cleansed his own life. He's been renewed in his image. He's heard the instruction of the Lord and the word of the Lord. And now in the throne room of God is just giving his son insight as to what will happen. Doesn't change his mission. Doesn't change his function. Doesn't change what he must do. But he's choosing to confide in him because he has followed the way and letting him know that there will be a remnant that survived this, that will be like a stump in the land that will have holy seed and yet will spring up again. God speaks to Isaiah his plan to destroy Israel. It's horrifying. This is his people. This is a difficult thing for God to speak to a man. But most importantly... He also speaks to him about the remnant that would be left and that they would be holy. It wasn't just that they would be destroyed. It's that God's refinement would work through him. But you notice the way that he has to progress through the tabernacle to get the entire picture. Now, we're beginning to see some interesting patterns here. And we just want to highlight some that we're going to come across. It's easier to see with Chronicles in view that Isaiah was prophesying about things that would actually happen During Isaiah's day, there would be a coming judgment. What is a little harder to see, even though we all do this, is that Isaiah wasn't just receiving a revelation about his times, but also about the times that we personally are living in. So let me say that in a little clearer fashion. He received a revelation, and what is hard to understand is that it is about his day and time, but it wasn't just about his day and time. I know no young man in the room has ever received a revelation and thought, yes, this is about me. Well, yes, it is about you playing your part, but it is more than that. It is about the generations down the road. In fact, our current generation and the sons and daughters that are sitting in this room. Look, there's a kind of biblical prophecy that cycles through the word. It starts a kind of pattern that you can see. They prophesy something, there's a fulfillment, but there's yet more to come. They prophesy it, there's a fulfillment, and yet more to come. You see these things revolving through the canon, where it never goes away, it's actually increasing in its fulfillment. Yeah. 
What Isaiah prophesies about will have ramifications in his day and in future generations. Look, this is, as we're starting to understand this, think about it. We know that Israel was destroyed in Isaiah's day. They were carried into Assyrian captivity. Right. We're going to get to that in our study of Chronicles. But it wasn't just destroyed once, wasn't it? Correct. No. The way that Isaiah prophesied Israel would be destroyed actually happened several times in history. And you can read Isaiah's prophecies and know for sure that it is going to happen again. Can you see how these things are repeating cycles? Yeah. We also know that a remnant was left in Isaiah's day. We're going to get to that in our study of Chronicles as well. But a remnant has been preserved over and over again throughout history through the same pattern of events. We saw it happen in Isaiah's day. We saw it happen in Antiochus Epiphanes' day. We saw it happen in Jesus' day. We're still seeing it happen today. And therefore, we can look at Isaiah as a forming, revolving cycle of prophecy. And guess what? It's going to happen again. We can actually read Isaiah and say, oh my gosh, what happened in Chronicles, what happened in Isaiah, looks like it's about to happen again. Imagine that. This leads us to understand that these prophecies form a cyclical pattern until their final completion. We all like to talk about, well, that prophecy was fulfilled. But what does that really mean, fulfilled? It means it was fulfilled in its day. It means it was fulfilled again after that. And it means it still has to be fulfilled. If you want to know specific scriptures on fulfilling scriptures, come talk to your pastors or any of the disciples at the kibbutz and we can share that with you. Look, we want you to hear this now because in the coming weeks, we are going to go deeper. Say deeper. 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 Into the prophecies that are still left to be fulfilled in our times as they were given in the time of Chronicles. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Yes. Would you like to know more about the prophecies that still need to be fulfilled? Yes. Look, for now, we will give you some brief examples. Biblical prophecy points to Israel being destroyed just like it was in the time of Chronicles. Biblical prophecy also points to a remnant being preserved just like it was in the time of Chronicles. Biblical prophecy points to a future highway being built. Just like it was in Isaiah's time. Come on. Biblical prophecy points to a time when God judges the nations that he uses to destroy Israel. That's interesting, right? God is using those nations as punishment for Israel. He literally says in Isaiah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, I will use. But then he gets mad at Assyria. Man, it points to a time when God will judge the nations he uses to destroy Israel. That's not happening ever again, will it? Yeah, you you can even watch CNN and see that. (laughs) Look, biblical prophecy points to a time when a son would be born to the house of Israel just like it was in Isaiah's day. Oh, come on. Would you like to hear about how a son was born to a house of Israel in Isaiah's day? We're going to get into those things in the future. Look, we're not going to take the time to discuss Every random individual that had a prophecy about the coming of the Lord and half of the Christian community freaks out. What you do not need is some strange, kooky individual that wants your money or perhaps your wife in a cult to tell you that Christ is coming back in three years and you should max out your credit card. (laughs) What you do need to know is that the church of the living God, the discerning church of God, 
can study the cycles of prophecy that have repeated through generations that give you indicators, not to the day or the hour, but the season that we're in because we're children of the light. Amen. These things are worth studying for our day in life. They're not often some category for seminary students. They're for the believing community. And God will give us insight to it. And I promise, men make these things much more complicated than they are if you just read the text for what it says. Amen. Now look, we want to go back to a specific point. We want to capture what Isaiah asked. For how long, O Lord? Listen, essentially God's response was until the end. Until it's done. Until it's been completed. This is exactly where we are at as a body. God is asking us, can we see it? And he is showing us, just like he showed Isaiah. God is speaking to this body about the same cycle of events that the prophets understood just on a much grander scale. We're watching it begin to form up in a way that is increasing in its cycles. A little bit like contractions or birth pains. It's the same thing we saw earlier, but it's increasing in its magnitude. With this in mind, we are essentially living in the time of Jotham and Isaiah. We are hearing about the events that will take place. God is preparing his people. He is speaking in advance about what we need. But Jotham's still alive at the moment. But we know he won't be forever. Something is coming. Something is happening. And he's saying, entrench yourself, establish yourself in the way, and leave no area unturned. Stand as my wheat and remove the chaff so that you might survive the testing fire. This is where we are as a collective body. Just like Bible forms a cyclical nature, it's forming a cycle again right now in this body. We are in the time of Jotham and Isaiah. We are in the time where the pastors are standing up and they're saying, can you see what God is directing us at? Can you see the great kings around us that we need to be living up to? Can you see what's going to happen in the future? Can you see what your children are going to go do? Can you see what God is directing this church to go and do? Can you see what God is going to do in the region of Aswan? Now, I will admit, most people look at the reign of Jotham as short and uneventful. We had many people ask us, are you covering one chapter tonight or two? We're like, why would you even ask that? We've been doing one king per night. And they're like, well, it's just so short. I mean, there's nothing going on in Jotham's life. Okay. But there's so much happening behind the scenes that affects the entire world for ages to come. Yes. That is how we need to view our times right here, right now. Although you may have days that seem like nothing extraordinary is happening, God is moving things around like a master chess player in this body. He is breathing insight into our homes. He is pointing us in a direction as the Isaiahs rise up amongst us, as the Jothams rise up amongst us. He is pointing us in a direction that will affect the nations and the region of a swan. Your days are not just uneventful. No. Every day you wake up, every day you put on your boots and you go, you go do what you ought to be doing, what God directed you in. He is moving these things around in our lives. And I think now you're starting to see it, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We want to charge you, husbands, wives, fathers, children, young men, whatever category you put yourself in. This attitude and understanding is something that we must carry. Your life is not menial. Caring for the home that is placed you in is not menial. 
Your workplace is not menial. The fact that we have days that do not look extraordinary do not negate the fact that God is breathing his plan into existence through us. It's time for us to fix our gaze, for us to understand that right here, right now, these things are not uneventful. They're the time between the big events. This is where we prove faithful unto the end. This is why we are getting our homes right. This is why we're growing in our giftings, understanding, and study of the word. It's why we're beginning to see the overall plan in the world and the plan for this body in the region of Aswan, just like Isaiah did. Listen, the question earlier, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to be faithful learning a new language? How long do I have to be faithful at a job or a workplace that I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here? Until the end. This is why we were placed here. This is the men of Issachar. Justin mentioned it as we opened up for such a time as this we were put here. Nothing about our day, our time, or our lives are meaningless. It's actually some of the most critical phases that the earth has ever seen. It just plays out over generations. Look, there's a family scripture that we wanted to share with you. It's Exodus 3.12. I'm suggesting this should be your attitude about such things until the end. And God said, I will be with you. Praise God for that. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. So far, so good, right? When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now listen, if you didn't quite catch it, this is the sign that I will be with you. When you have completed what I sent you to do through all of the miraculous suffering and events, then you'll know I was with you. (laughs) It's almost as if God expects us to trust him on the front end, that what feels hard feels meaningless. If we press through to the end, we will be able to turn back and see God's prophecy and pattern unfolding. Listen, none of us have to lay our heads down. Whether we are 20 or we are 65 makes no difference in say, yeah, I just kind of lived a good Christian life, but I didn't really see anything unfold. No, we will be able to tell that God was with us and he was doing something when we lived this way. That is true for every man in this room, and your life will not have been wasted in this manner. Look, we want to put this map of a swan back on the map. In the coming weeks and foundations and Sundays and Wednesdays and all of the meetings that we have in each other's homes, we're going to be digging into this map more. We're going to be digging deep into the revelation and what it means. But there's something that you ought to be thinking when you're looking at that map. Isaiah prophesied that they would come from afar, that they would come from this region and affect Israel. You know what he didn't have in 2 Chronicles chapter 27? This prophecy. But you know what started it? Jotham. You know what started it? Men who were faithful to the standard and way of life. They provided the way for Isaiah to grow. And Isaiah eventually did get this revelation. And it's affecting us even here today. Come on. Talk about cycles of biblical prophecy. What we want to charge you with is when you're looking at that map... You should rest assured in your hearts that God is doing this inside this body just like he did with Jotham and Isaiah. God is raising up Jotham's in this room right now. He's raising up Isaiah's. 
He's raising up an Amos here and a Micah here who is seeing it just like the pastors see it. When we look at that map, we ought to have an overwhelming sense of pride inside of us. We ought to have the overwhelming sense of purpose and courage that God has seen fit to call us. I'm not talking about all the other churches out there. I'm not talking about Christians in general or the rest of Christianity. I'm talking about us, the one association, all the way from Indonesia to Peru to Chicago to Houston. God has seen fit that we follow in the same footsteps that Jotham and Isaiah did to affect that region of the world. We ought to stand up and be so encouraged and say, Thank you, God, you have counted us worthy. Thank you, God, you have given us the opportunity to suffer for what you want accomplished in the world. Thank you, God, that you've given us the vision that you want us to actually accomplish. You guys want to stand up and thank the Lord for that? You want to rise up in courage? I want to stand with these men. I'm going to ask Baj and uh, John to come. We're about to end. We're going to pray together here shortly. And uh, we're going to go out in the victorious kind of spirit that studying about King Jotham should do for us. Um, I'm going to reference one scripture. We're going to read one scripture. And I think we're going to read one passage and then we're going to pray. Y'all ready for that? The reference is this. Isaiah 49 is, is where Isaiah actually begins to prophesy about a swan. Olivia, would you put Isaiah 46.10 on the screen for us? It says, I make known the end from the beginning. I love that phrase. The Lord makes known the end. He shows a swan long before we even know that we're on the journey. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand. Amen. And I will do all that I please. The only question is, is do you get to be a part of him doing everything that he pleases? This is what the Lord is doing here. It should give you great confidence. It should allow you to stand firmly. It should allow the, the knees that are giving way, the, the hands that are weak, that are trembling, to say, wait a minute, the Lord put me here, and He is able to call the end from the beginning. And, he can, and it is His good pleasure to reveal it to you. Matthew 13, I think it's 11 through 15. It says this. He replied. They were asking Jesus, why does he speak in parables? Why do you do that? Because I have a plan. I'm the one who calls the end from the beginning. And here's part of the plan. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Just let that settle in on your spirit right now. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to everybody. Next verse. Whoever has will be given more, 
and they will have an abundance. Do you have an abundance, LCM? Yes. yes. If you want the continued abundance, you have to be faithful with what God is showing you. Amen. Not being afraid that you can't do it. The one who calls the end from the beginning, if he's calling you, he will equip you to do it. Amen. He's also calling the end of your journey out. If you'll just walk in it. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I have to be honest with you. For years now I've been praying, Lord, I didn't have as much clarity as some of our brothers in the room. Or some of, the, some of the other pastors, but I said, Lord, if somebody's not going to be faithful with their building, give it to us. We'll be faithful with it. Lord, if there's a region in the world, Lord, we're going to be faithful with what you've given us and what you've assigned to us in a swan. Next verse. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Man. That sounds really familiar. It sounds like it was just what we read in Isaiah. How about the next verse? In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. How long, O oh Lord, do we get to do this? Until the end. He's the one that calls the end from the beginning and he's revealing it to this church and you are a part of what he is revealing you get to see it because of what is going on before you these are important days for lcm we are going to accomplish everything that god has put before us amen i desperately want each of you to come along it's going to require that we put a lot of things to death inside of us it's going to require no matter how many times you scream it on the inside, how long do we need to keep doing this? We have to keep doing this until the end. Amen. I'm going to ask that Baj close us in prayer. I love standing with these men. I love standing with you. Because we're going to do this together. Amen? Amen. Until the end. Mighty King, we give you the praise and the glory tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the amazing, incredible revelation that you are bringing down to us, Lord. Father, we say, Lord, we are astonished at the vastness and the grandeur of what you are revealing to us right now, Lord. And Father, I say for those in this house, Lord, on behalf of your family right here, Father, we take hold of that, mighty God. Father, we take hold of what you're showing us, Lord. Father, we are excited to see the things that you're revealing to us for the future, Lord, for the time to come. Father, I pray for those here today, Lord, Father, that we would go headlong into your mission, mighty God. Father, the plan that you are showing us, Lord, that we would not step away or back up from anything that you're revealing to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would continue in our grandchildren, Lord, and their grandchildren, mighty God. Father, till the end. Amen. Father, may we never stop as generations till your plan is completely fulfilled, mighty God. Father, we glory in the things that you are bringing to us, Lord. Father, we say 
Hallowed be thy name, Lord, yes, and that Lord. thy will be done in our lives, yes, mighty God. We stand together, mighty King, and we say, yes, we will do as you have said, mighty God. Father, thank you. Thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We love you.